welcome to the Clerk Commute Podcast. Where we discuss clerkship content, share up-to-date research, work through interesting cases, and gather position advice for your next rotation. Hey, Clerk Commuters. Today, we will be discussing acute kidney injury, or AKI. This episode will cover the following topics. First, a brief overview of kidney anatomy and physiology, and then definitions, classification of causes, and management of acute kidney injury. This episode was edited by Dr. Zahire, a nephrologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Okay, so to start us off, I'm going to go over a brief review of kidney anatomy and physiology. So first, the kidney is a paired retroperitoneal organ that filters waste from the blood. It has a cortex and a medulla, and the functional unit is the nephron. The nephron is divided into first the glomerulus, where blood enters via afferent arterial and is filtered. Next, the proximal convoluted tubule, which is the primary site of reabsorption. Then there's the loop of Henle, which creates a concentration gradient between the cortex and the medulla to facilitate water reabsorption in the distal nephron. Next is the distal convoluted tubule, where further reabsorption and fine tuning of some electrolyte absorption takes place. Finally, the collecting duct can be broken into the cortical collecting duct, where sodium and potassium absorption happens, medullary collecting duct, where water reabsorption takes place. Urine that is formed from the kidneys passes from the minor calyx to the major calyx, the renal pelvis, and the ureter. Next, we will discuss AKI and its definition. So acute kidney injury, or AKI, used to be called acute renal failure. AKI is an acute decrease in kidney function that results in retention of urea and other nitrogenous waste products. The definition of AKI based on kidney disease improving global outcomes is one of one, increase in serum creatinine of over or equal to 26.5 micromole per liter within 48 hours, or two, an increase in serum creatinine equal to or greater than 1.5 times their baseline, which is known or presumed to have occurred in prior seven days, or third, urine volume of less than 0.5 milliliters per kilogram per hour for six hours. So now we're going to present a case that we can think of as we discuss AKI. Mrs. M is an 80-year-old woman who presents to the emergency department and for whom you are asked to do a consult. She presents with progressive shortness of breath, cough, and a low-grade fever that all began roughly two weeks ago when she was seen by her family doctor with a lower respiratory tract infection. She was prescribed a course of levofloxacin and her last dose was one week ago. She reports a progressive shortness of breath over this two-week time period, coughing and low-grade fevers with poor oral intake. She has a past medical history that is significant for hypertension, osteoarthritis, and diabetes mellitus. She takes hydrochlorothiazide, 25 milligrams a day, metformin, 500 milligrams, three times a day, ramipril, 10 milligrams daily, and Celebrex, 100 milligrams twice a day. There are no known drug allergies. So Alex, next up is physical exam. What would you wanna do for suspected AKI? Well, a thorough physical exam is key since a lack of kidney function can impact multiple body systems. So we would wanna check their vitals, their cardiovascular system, a respiratory exam, 
conduct a volume assessment, an abdominal exam, a neurological exam, and finally a dermatologic exam. And what investigations would you want to do? So we would want to perform common investigations that we use in AKI, including basic blood tests, which involve a CBC, electrolytes, and serum creatinine, as well as a blood culture given the history of infection, as sepsis can cause AKI, as well as a urinalysis to look at red blood cell count, white blood cell count, and protein, a urine microscopy, an ECG, as electrolyte abnormalities can cause arrhythmias, and finally, a chest x-ray. And this is especially important in this case, given the history of a lower respiratory tract infection. So in this case, the investigations reveal that Mrs. M has a high white blood count, which is likely because of the respiratory infection, elevated sodium, elevated urea, a serum creatinine that is two times the baseline from two days ago. And this fulfills the definition of AKI that you mentioned earlier. Your analysis reveals red blood cells, protein, and white blood cells in the urine. And urine microscopy reveals hemogranular casts. Next, thinking about the differential for acute kidney injury, we can classify the causes based on pre-renal, renal, and post-renal causes. Let's first discuss pre-renal AKI, and this is caused by decreased renal blood flow. So some of the causes of this are an extracellular fluid volume depletion, for example, diarrhea, vomiting, dehydration, or diuretics. Physical exam findings of this may include hypotension, tachycardia, low JVP, and dry mucous membranes. Secondly, we could have systemic vasodilation caused by sepsis or neurogenic shock. And finally, we can have intrarenal vasoconstriction caused by medications, cardiorenal syndrome, hepatorenal syndrome, or abdominal compartment syndrome. Next, thinking about renal AKI, this can further be classified into tubulointerstitial, glomerular, and vascular. First, for tubulointerstitial, we, we can have acute tubular necrosis, or ATN, and some supportive findings of this may include ECF volume depletion, red blood cell count, and protein on urinalysis, and heme granular casts, and wells elevated sodium. We can also have acute interstitial nephritis, the most common being allergic interstitial nephritis, which usually occurs seven to 10 days following drug exposure. Red blood cell count, protein, and eosinophils on urinalysis, and white blood cell casts on urine microscopy. Secondly, thinking about glomerular causes, this can further be split into proliferative or non-proliferative causes. So for non-proliferative causes, we can have structural abnormalities in the glomerulus without extra cells, and this presents as nephrotic syndrome, which is proteinuria, edema, hypoalbuminemia, and dyslipidemia. And for proliferative causes, this presents as nephritic syndrome, which is hypertension, hematuria, proteinuria, red blood cell casts on urine microscopy. And then finally, for renal AKI, we have vascular causes, such as renal vein thrombosis or renal infarction. Generally, supportive findings of renal AKI may include lung involvement, joint involvement, rashes, neurologic features, presence of hypertension, ECF volume overload, or depletion in the case of ATN, anemia or thrombocytopenia, abnormal urinary sediment, the presence of blood or white blood cells or protein on urinalysis, and on urine microscopy, abnormal casts. And finally, our last classification is post-renal AKI. And this is typically caused by a urinary tract obstruction, 
such as a uridal stone, benign prostatic hyperplasia, or malignancies. So now let's think about the cause of the AKA in this case. Supportive findings for pre-renal AKI include evidence of ECF volume depletion, in this case hypotension, poor oral intake, and taking a diuretic, as Mrs. M is on hydrochlorothiazide. Supportive findings for renal AKI include that Mrs. M was recently prescribed levofloxacin when she visited the family doctor, and this could point us towards an acute interstitial nephritis. However, a nephritis would most likely present with a classic triad of rash, fever, and eosinophilia. Acute tubular necrosis, likely because of ECF volume depletion and abnormal urine dip. We may also suspect renal AKI because of acute tubular necrosis, which is likely because of the ECF volume depletion and abnormal urine dip with red blood cells, white blood cells, and proteins, the hemogranular casts, and the elevated sodium. Renal AKI, specifically ATN, are most likely based on a number of supportive findings. So how would we generally manage AKI? So thinking of an overall management for AKI, we would first want to identify the cause of AKI as we just went over, either pre-renal, renal, or post-renal AKI. Then we would want to consider empiric treatment, for example, IV fluids if considering volume depletion, avoidance of nephrotoxins if ATN or AIN is suspected, pulse steroids if considering immune-mediated proliferative glomerulonephritis. Then we would want to consider volume repletion. Next, avoidance of complications, so avoiding excessive fluid administration, avoiding high potassium diet if at risk of developing hyperkalemia, and then treatment of complications, so volume overload, hyperkalemia, or acidemia, etc. And finally, monitoring the need for renal replacement therapy, or dialysis. In this case where renal AKI, specifically ATN is likely, IV fluids for volume depletion and avoidance of nephrotoxins would be the core to the management. Now we're going to go through some questions. You can pause to think about the answer before we say it. So Alex, first question. Which of the following is not a cause of pre-renal AKI? A, sepsis, B, glomerulonephritis, C, vomiting, or D, excessive sweating? The answer is B, glomerulonephritis. This would be an example of a renal cause. All others are potential causes of pre-renal AKI. Number two, what investigations might you order in trying to diagnose and determine the cause of an AKI? Answers may vary, but they could include a CBC, electrolytes, serum creatinine, a urinalysis, a urine microscopy, and an ECG. Number three, what two investigations can be used to diagnose AKI? Serum creatinine and urine output. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Clerk Commute Podcast. Catch you on your next commute.